We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 155. I'm Missile Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and joining me again with the transfer window now shut is Frances Tomas. And Frances, you know, you and I have been arguing about this Neymar thing for most of the summer, but the, the good news, I think, is that we get to argue again in the winter and again next summer if we want. Is that good news? Are you sure about that? I think that's just going to be <laughs> a never-ending story until he does join us again, which I think he will eventually. Yeah, well, I, again, the, the father time is undefeated. So eventually, if this saga continues on for a few more years, we'll be we'll be willing to pay 170 million for a 39 year old uh, Neymar. So it just if you, if you wait patiently enough, uh, maybe <laughs> things will happen. But we are going to be talking about not necessarily even the Neymar thing, but the fallout from from Neymar. And I think the good place to start there uh, is. With, uh, you know, with today we're doing just, just LeBron, it's just going to be questions, there's, there's really no focus on LeBron Pagunta, um, because we actually got a lot of different questions from people, but a lot of questions that overlapped in different categories. So the first category that we're basically hitting uh, is has nothing to do with Neymar, but has to do with Barcelona's start to the season. Ramon asked, uh, is this just bad luck with new rules, missing, name, uh, missing Messi on the field, and still integrating new players? Or Eric says, is the start... And looking at the results, something that should be glass half full or glass half empty. And then Jorge uh, adds, being a silver lining type of guy, thank you, Jorge, for that. Do you think this might turn into a blessing in disguise, the fact that we've had to adjust our play and utilize B players? So, uh, Frances, after one win, one draw, and one loss, what are your feelings about the start of Barcelona's season? I think I'm far less worried than most people are. Um, possibly because I've been around for so many years. I'm, I'm, old, I'm old now. And in a way, I've seen it all before, like, you know, in the 80s and 90s, when we used to lose, um, people didn't really buzz an eyelid because that was sort of normal-ish. Uh, when Cruyff joined us, we became sort of a winning club. There were some dark years in the 2000s. And to be honest, of course, we haven't won the nine points, but I- I'm not worried because there is plenty of quality in the squad. I think the word that we've used before is stacked, and I, I understand and agree with that. You can lose away at Bilbao. That's that's not really an issue. I think the performance against Betis was very good, um, and then obviously the Osasuna game was disappointing, especially in the first half. But I think you know going to um, the Basque Country and, and and Pamplona, obviously with Osasuna, I don't think it is that bad a result to get a draw. And you know I'm probably going to get crucified for saying this, but honestly, I think people are just far too alarmed at this moment in time. Um, I think people 
a lot of them just want Valverde gone. And, you know, I do agree that he shouldn't have been the coach this year after what happened before. But, you know, he's the coach we have now. And there is no need, there is no point, And it's just basically just going to make yourself waste your typing skills and your um, shouting skills. The guy's going nowhere. And that is something that is quite obvious. Bartomeu has been in charge for several years now. And, and as far as I know, every manager that started the season with Bartomeu has finished it. He is someone who looks at sort of long-term projects and he's got Valverde for the season. So there's no point of saying Valverde out, Valverde out every single week. He's just observing what's going on and you can criticize and you can debate on that. But honestly, the coach is not going anywhere and we just have to make sure that we analyze, support, obviously argue. There's nothing wrong with that. But honestly, if you're just shouting Valverde out every single second, you're wasting your energy because it's just not going to happen yet. Yeah, I agree um, with a lot of those points. You and I you know, are, are in, again, total accord about the situation. Uh, I say we say situation revolving around Valverde in that I, I think for him, he as you said, probably shouldn't have been kept this season, but he is. And what we have to look at and what I've kind of been answering on the side to people is the what the club might have their long-term vision as. I think Valverde, uh, as Xavi continues to just, again, coach in Qatar in his first season as, as a head manager, there is this writing on the wall for Valverde that, you know, it seems like is the, the, the question there is not when is Valverde gone. I think that's part of the question, but I don't think he's going to be gone because of his performances or him as a manager at Barcelona. He's gone when the club finds that they found a suitable replacement that makes more sense uh, or takes him into a new era. So does that mean that Xavi is only going to be given one professional year, then he comes next year? Or is it that possibly one more year of Valverde and then Xavi? Or is it... There might be another manager in between for a year or two, and then it's Xavi. Uh, so that's basically the question, that, that how long is it before uh, Xavi comes to the club, and is there someone in between? Um, and I, I think one of the things that I always want to remind people when, when, and I know here we are, instead of just talking about the first three matches of the season, we're talking about um, the long-term plan of Ernesto Valverde. But there really is, I mean, and it's not just... Um, simple t- Twitter fingers saying hashtag Valverde out. I think it's it's sensible fans as well are, are so out on his playing style uh, about uh, what they have found his re- final results of a season to be uh, that that even you know respected uh, to me respected uh, uh, we'll say thinkers about Barcelona are are, are are as far out on Valverde as you can get. But the question being is I, I implore people. Kike Setien was fired from Real Betis. He's still, yes, available, but that was after he left Real Betis because he, they, they, they did not like what he was bringing to the, the club as a manager. I, I mean, I, I would implore people to wonder whether or not that would mean he would have success at Barcelona. And, and to that end, who else is really out there that you could find to, to manage Barcelona at this time? With, with the squad they have and all of that, I mean, who is possibly available? For Barcelona. I know it is a dream job for so many, but is it a dream job if they know that they're out in a year or two when Xavi comes around and they know they're not going to give in, they're not going to be given any leash uh, after this season potentially? Um, I don't think there are many managers out there who would have a team that revolves around Messi and relies on the prowess of Suarez in front of goal and obviously Dembélé speed in the corner that would have done much better with all of them three out. Um, obviously, they're not the only players that are injured. Um, that obviously has to do with the preseason or lack of proper preseason. The fact that um, traveling around the world and sort of money making seems to be prioritized in, in recent years, to be honest, by most clubs, but certainly by Barca. I think that that was a handicap to be thrown into that. 
Um, I do like what he's doing with the, with the youngsters. I think Carlos Perez reminds me of a young Pedro coming through. Um, obviously, it's still early days, but I like the fact that he's played quite a bit considering the fact that you know he should be a six or seven forward, if that. Um, I like the fact that Ansu Fati came on. I like the fact that he had plenty of energy and he was basically not even played for Barca B yet and already playing for the first team. And, you know, there are several players that he has been trusted, like Anya, obviously, in the first game. I don't know what happened with that then. It was like a, like an X-Files case um, to analyse. But, you know, I think he's trusting the, 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 the Cantera, the La Masia, a little bit more. I think that is a good point as well. Um, the games haven't been brilliant, but, you know, it's a new season. It's, um, it seems to be a little bit of a new order because, obviously, Rakitic or even Busquets haven't really played as much as they have in the past. So I think he's trying to do something there. And after three, three games out of 38, we've got four points out of nine. That's not great. But, you know, it's not the end of the world either. I think we just need to give him time to at least sort of go with what the board has trusted, which mm-hmm. is keeping him, and then see where he takes us. I mean, the game's not very exciting. I know that. And that's going to kill us for the whole year, I know. But we need to we need to pull back a little bit and just see what happens with this because he's got a sort of different idea and you know with everything that is sort of brewing and growing when Messi comes back Suarez comes back and obviously Dembélé comes back that should be better. Yeah, they're trying to implement more of a pressing system this year. We saw it against Real Betis, uh, and, and it didn't really work to effect uh, against Osasuna. And I think part of that, the big part of that, is that the the midfield trio. And it, we do have to again. It's not an excuse, but you mentioned a lot of things that a lot of factors go into it. Obviously, missing the one of the greatest players of all time in Messi is a big part of it. Uh, obviously, having De Jong and Griezmann um, being very important parts, right? So two of the focal points of the first three matches were guys that just showed up a few weeks ago, and, and it did have that odd, too-much-travel preseason feel. Uh, those might be excuses, but I think one of the other things that I, I want to keep in mind is that the rotation of players so far, and Alenia, as you mentioned, is the real mystery here, that he it seems like has been scapegoated for that first match where he hasn't even been selected to the squad. But that said, you know, even Rakitic, the potential of him leaving the club was something that was real. And Andre asked, my question is how the players that were supposed to be part of the Neymar deal, uh, how did they react or integrate back into the team after knowing the club went all out to get rid of them? And when I look at the rotation, so Arter, you know, he looked fantastic coming in off the bench against Osasuna, arguably the man of the match, even though he only played in the second half. That's how bad the first half was. Uh, But... I didn't even think he would come into that match because in that last week, his name was, was, was being thrown around in the Neymar talks. We haven't seen Tadebo at all, and we haven't seen much of Umtiti either, and Rakitic hasn't featured as well. And Rakitic, even, he was given some time away from Croatia because the Croatian manager had even said that Rakitic is trying to sort out his club situation, which tells you that there might have been a lot of smoke in that Neymar situation, but as far as the players' names that were being bandied about, uh, there there is real credence to the fact that you know that Dembele's name was there. Uh, but on the on the opposite side of that is that they allowed Coutinho to go out on loan, and I believe that that was potentially before negotiations even started. So it is a weird thing to me that the Barcelona, um, it seemed like they were racing this clock at the end of the summer here at this transfer window to get Neymar in negotiations that probably should have lasted the entire summertime. And it seems like it only happened as, as, it, as it neared the end. So to answer Andre's question, it's, it's going to be different 
with each individual player, right? Like it, it not leaving for Tadebo might mean the same season for him. If Alvarez doesn't find him to be truly in the rotation and he only trusts him for Copa del Rey or uh, maybe the occasional match if PK needs rest or, or gets hurt, then that's going to be what it was no matter what. But then a guy like, I mean, Rakitic to me really is the question mark here, right? He hasn't played in the first three and, and the way Barcelona is seeming to play, I, again, my biggest indictment of Valverde is, as we can see now, Rakitic and Busquets long-term just don't make sense with what you have. With the other seven guys in there, Rakitic and Busquets, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be playing because one of them are, should probably be starting every single match. And you shouldn't start Busquets every single match, but somebody should be starting every single match. Is Rakitic going to be more of a substitute now than a starter? Uh, and all that said, I, you know, I think it's just the pairing of the two of them together. As I've said, the biggest problem with last season was you had Langley and PK who were not dribbling into the midfield and not opening up space. That means that they're, they're shortening things width-wise. They're not using touchline to touchline uh, when you have a lot of different imports coming in who aren't necessarily raised in Alasia. And then in the midfield, Rakitic and Busquets just cannot cut out those counterattacks with, uh, I'm not going to say older legs, but they do. They do have more, uh, they have a lot more miles on their legs and they have a harder time tracking back and, and breaking counterattacks with, with faster, speedier guys on the wings. And then up front, you have Suarez and Messi who are supposed to be leading that press. And as I've said many times, they might be, you know, some of the greatest ever offensively, but at this point in their careers as well, post 30, they don't press in the same way that that Griezmann has done already, uh, or that Rafinha even was doing. And Rafinha is now, now gone to, to Celta de Vigo on loan. But that's my whole thing, that there is a change in the air with Valverde, but now he's going to have to navigate each relationship with these different players. So, I mean, Dembele, to me, Frances, I don't know this, this is where this is where you want to jump off to, but uh, Dembele, to me, is the one guy of anybody else that I'm concerned about. How is he going to deal with this whole summer? How to disagree with anything you've said? Uh, I'm just going to sort of throw a different shade here. Um, these people are professionals, okay? And I do understand that, and it happens in the NBA a lot. As, as listeners probably know, I follow the NBA. Definitely the Lakers is the, the team that my dad used to support when I was little, so I'm a Lakers supporter as well. It happened last year with the Anthony Davis deal when everyone was sort of going to be offloaded and it affected what at the time was the young core. I think there, there will be similarities here. Um, if you're Rakitic or Todibo or any of the players that have been mentioned, because there's been several of them mentioned throughout the, the summer in order to sort of make the Neymar transfer back to the Camp no cheaper. If you're any of those, of course, that's going to affect you mentally. But you're professional. You are a multimillionaire. You are getting paid a huge amount of money to play. And if you don't play at PSG, you play at Barca. You know, those are two of the biggest teams in the whole world. And I, I see it. I live in Qatar now. I, I see a lot of people here who live with very little I see people working at 40, 50 degree heat. And, you know, we're not going to get political in any way, shape or form. That's not what this podcast is, is about or what it's for. But what I'm saying is that they live in a luxury life, doing what they love and in a, in a place that has a lot of facilities. So while, you know, I do understand that the pressures that come with the job and the spotlight and the paparazzi and, the, you know, the reporters asking you questions, that can be difficult. I'm not, I'm not sort of obviating that. But... You know, it's a privileged life that these guys are living. Um, I think that if they're not going anywhere, they are in a surrounding, in an environment with teammates and coaching staff that they know. I think that everyone who was involved has the trust of Valverde. I think it wasn't necessarily him trying to send Rakitic away because I'm sure if you ask Ernesto what he wants to do, he wants to keep Rakitic because basically he's played every single minute of football since he joined Barca a couple of seasons ago, or three now. And, 
they just need to do what they were doing last year, you know, get build a bridge, get over it, and, and keep playing. And that's what they get paid for. That's what they're really good at. And it's now the manager's job, which obviously people disagree with the manager being there, but that's that's part of his job, trying to motivate these, these players that um, the club wanted to offload. And, you know, if he wants to blame the club for trying to do that, then, then he can do that. He's the manager. He doesn't have to respond for the whole institution. And, and whatever he needs to do to get these people's mentality back to where he needs to be, which is a Barca, then, then just push for that. And then the results should be better. Um, as you have mentioned, rotation is, is key this year. And I'm delighted with that. You know, I don't want the same 11 players playing every game in September or August or October or even January. You know, we just need to rotate everyone so that when February comes, everyone is nice and fresh, both physically, but based on the last two years, mentally, so that when difficulties come, they can pull together, concentrate from corners, <laughs> as is happening in Liverpool, yeah. and basically close the season in style. Whether the season starts with 9 out of 9 points or 4 out of 9 points, as I said at the start, is not the problem. The problem is where we are in February and uh, how much distance we manage to build in our competitors domestically, if we have, and if we have them, we just have to pull through. But this is up to the players to change with the manager's help, and that's the challenge. Yeah, and I think that, again, when you look at La Liga table, and I'll keep saying this week in and week out, that when you watch the matches, when you truly are watching the matches, uh, and, and we as Kool-Aids are watching from a Barcelona, uh, knowing that Barcelona is the better, more dominant team, it's always something to be said about La Liga. Uh, and, you know, I even looking at the way that the uh, collective deal with with um, with TV rights is changing, right? That it, it's based on a 50% equal share, 25% performance over the last five years, and then 25% popularity, uh, a third for the average match day income, two thirds for a number of TV viewers. And so even with these new changes where Barcelona and Real Madrid are getting a little less of the, the we'll say the piece of the uh, monetary pie, they're still getting the most TV income with about 140 million euros apiece. And then Atletico Madrid is now at 100 million euros. Then there's Sevilla, Athletic Bilbao at 70. Uh, and when you look at the, the bigger numbers that are now coming into some of those other La Liga teams, uh, they're able to strengthen their squads as well. And I want to take this time now to plug this week. I've got two YouTube videos. Yep, not just one. YouTube video, but two YouTube videos. It's going to be all 20 teams in the Liga about the big new faces that that should be uh, known and brought because a lot of teams like Sevilla uh, and Real Sociedad, they did a complete facelift on their teams. And I counted a total of six La Liga teams that actually had their, we'll say their most important player or who looks to be the most influential player on their side have come in over the summer. So that's in a way that every team has has uh, reinvigorated itself, and it starts at the top now with Atletico Madrid and João Felix coming in, the 19-year-old from Benfica, who has, in the same way that Frankie de Jong had, and I saw this on Twitter, this this is a great mention, that that they have struggled, in fact, uh, in De Jong and and Jao Felix, as good as they are. they These are two generational talents, and they have still struggled to integrate themselves into La Liga, and it is slow going. And uh, as we mentioned, the most important things to recognize that it is a slow process. But I want to mention, Frances, as well, to your point about the, the transfers and about uh, potentially guys, guys uh, getting let go or, or, or changing to a new team. Uh, I, I was thinking... That there is a big mentality, and this will, this is going to bring us right into our uh, Ansu Fati discussion. I've got two questions here in a second, but when it comes to La Masia players, right, that it's not just what they are physically or technically, because as we've talked about before, the chances that it, local talent in a lot of cases now, obviously La Masia. Uh, if you go over to BarcelBlog.com and check out all La Masia profiles, you'll find out that a lot of 
Barcelona's top prospects did not start or are not from Catalonia. Uh, a lot of those, such as Ansu Fati, he started in Sevilla's Cantera and can go through. And there's a lot of different guys. Uh, Nico Gonzalez is from northern Spain, things like that. So a lot of the big names in La Masia at the moment didn't necessarily even start in Catalonia. Because again, it's impossible to assume that you have all these Catalan players that wind up being better than all the other youngsters or all the other young players in the world. But what seems to not physically or technically set La Masia apart, because in the last 15, 20 years, again, we have to recognize that La Masia is still the standard when it comes to youth academies or one of those the top ones in the world. But a lot of different you know, there is, it is a copycat world when it comes to world football. And a lot of youth academies have done their best. I mean, Man City is, is literally just buying up the people that were instrumental in creating that La Masia that we're praising. And so they just are trying to replicate the very same thing in Manchester with just gobs and gobs of money. Uh, and that's, and that, you know, copycat thing is happening all over the world. So players are getting more technical and they are following the Masia model. You mentioned the Cantera, you know, you've got different teams around Spain and, you know, Ultimately, it comes to the point that they will join either Madrid or Barca. In the last 20, 25 years, it, it has been Barca that has been the most dominant um, because of, you know, Xavi, Puyol, Iniesta coming out of La Masia. And I think that that is, um, that is what, what the youngsters in Spain want to do. I'm just going to throw something in there. So you've got, when the players are growing up, there are different divisions. Um, for example, in Segunda División B, which is um, the, the third year of Spanish football, there are four divisions. So the map is divided into four. Um, that sort of applies for División de Honor and Liga de Plata and all of those. So from Cadet B, Cadet A and Juveniles divisions, which are like from 14 to 17, 18 years old. Mm -hmm. Now, while there are different areas and you've got obviously uh, Mallorca and, and the, the islands, to Canary Islands as well, um, to, to consider here, the best league in terms of youth is in Catalonia. Right. Okay, because you've got teams like Espanyol, you've got Barca, now you've got Cornellà that's pumping really hard. You used to have Ferran Martorell, Dam, Dam as well, yep. clubs. Dam for sure, for yep. sure. Dam, yep. huge, huge team, uh, sponsored by the Bia Dam, obviously, mm -hmm. Estrella Dam. And that is where the main teams in Spain actually are. Um, they're mainly based in Catalonia. Then you've got a huge concentration of, of clubs in Madrid. Right. You've got Madrid and Atletico, obviously. But you've got others, for example, Rayo, Getafe, um, Leganés, you've got, um, I don't know, Colmenar. You've got a lot of teams in Madrid and Barcelona. You've got some others in Andalucía. You've got Betis, Málaga, Sevilla, etc. But they're more spread. So what I'm trying to say with this is that if you are a developing player and you're 14 and you've got an offer from Barca or Madrid, then you will consider those. Um, right. If you're good enough, you will have an offer from both and then you would, cho you would choose. But um, that's why players from like Tenerife or a lot of them from even La Coruña and around Spain move to Barcelona Madrid academies because the level of competition in those areas um, traditionally has been higher and that's where you're likely to develop more. But obviously, as I said at the start, you've got, you have traditionally teams, players, board directors, and obviously stars coming out of La Masia that trusted that system and that's probably where you want to go so i just thought that would add some value to what you were saying yeah and i think that also goes to the point that um when it comes to accepting as a 14 year old to choose to go to real madrid or barcelona's youth academies um there is a mentality that these clubs i mean i mean we saw 
it is a harrowing tale, um, and he's still just a teenager, but which Xavi Simone's going to PSG. And again, even as much as I've screamed about this pod, on the pod, and we've had Navid on all these different things about where Xavi Simone's fit in La Masia, where he was as a talent, he was still the one that everybody knew. Because it doesn't matter what I say, it's just, it's on social media, it is this, this social media apparatus that continues to push certain names into our faces. And Ansu Fati obviously is a name now, 16 years old, that we're going to be hearing about. But what I do like, I think it looks like at Ansu Fati, this is again, a, just a quick snapshot of what we're seeing of him like Lane asks is Ansu Fadi as good as it, 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 he looks so far um and Antonio asks um how should Valverde integrate Ansu Fadi into the first senior team and would that be a good idea at this stage and it does get you thinking that what I like the most and what I was saying before is that about La Masia talents not just physically technically but it seems like mentally they are a step above because they're prepared for star to be stars they're prepared to be uh wanted by a lot of different clubs and every player deals with it differently though and that's even goes for transfers not just La Masia players so we look at the way in the last five, 10 years, and I think this is really important. Again, this isn't politics to me. This is just a, a science and, and us acknowledging um, that mental health is an important thing for these players. When you look at what happened with Andre Gomes at, uh, at Barcelona, and then we see the career of Boyan Kirkage, that Boyan has now really turned into this you know, sacrificial lamb for what happens when a guy isn't, we'll say, properly mentally uh, integrated into the first team because there's so much pressure on him. So he's become the name that we throw out, but he's not the only one. There, there's You look through and there's uh, you know tens of hundreds of players that just mentally might not have had it. Uh, and for Ansu Fadi being 16, I think, as I said, if he's good enough, he plays in the first team. And he has seen like he's good enough. Valverde has been on record. And for all the, the dissing of Valverde about uh, supporting La Masia players, he said that Ansu Fadi is one of the greatest teenagers he's ever seen. He's been very clear about that. And he might be. But with Valverde, I mean, with Messi, rather, and Suarez and Dembele out, if we don't see Ansu Fadi for the rest of the season, that's okay, though. He played a role, got his first goal, uh, showed that he has his potential. So if he just plays the rest of the season with the Juvenil A, but more particularly now he's shown that he can play in Barca B, if he's just playing in the third division with Ricky Puj and, and Alex Callado and a, a lot of the names that we do know for the rest of the season, that's okay, though. I mean, that, that's that's a fine place for him to be. And if he continues to, to get some minutes while other guys are out, that's fine, too, because if he's talented enough, he plays. And the, as, as you mentioned, they are professionals even at 16. So mentally, if they're good enough to be prepared for the for the for playing for Barcelona in a way that maybe Gerard Delafay wasn't or that Boyan Kirkic obviously he didn't get the support he might have needed but I think mental health is so uh, prevalent and understand and we have a much better understanding of it now in 2019 uh, that I, I would hope that that continues to get better for these Cantera products and so I, I think Ansu Fadi physically all the things he shows on the field he looks like a 16 year old at times but we also, against Osasuna, before Ansu Fadi came on at halftime, most of the Barcelona players look like 16-year-olds out there. Uh, so everybody has a bad day. Uh, and I think Ansu Fadi has been good enough to play if he is needed and required, which I think Barcelona is deep enough not to need him, uh, if we say that. Mm-hmm. that. Not that Barcelona would need a 16-year-old, but you know what I'm saying, Frances. Yeah, for sure. Um, do we know who the sportive consultant for Ansu Fati is? Quiz question. That's Rodrigo Messi. Okay, I think the surname rings a bell. Ansu Fati has been dealing with Messi, Messi and Messi's family, his brother Rodrigo, for a while now. So nothing happens by coincidence. Um, as soon as Fati debuted with the first team, Messi on his God knows how many, like maybe 13 million followers or however many he's got now. Um, it was a picture of him embracing him, sort of giving him a super cuddle after his great game and um, impressing the world. But 
nothing happens for nothing, nothing is coincidence everything happens for a reason um so we've got a 16 year old who obviously played very well and has done well in the in the Lamasi academy going through the steps etc but having a padrino having a godfather like messi or, or rodrigo you know is their brothers is the same thing um who is such a huge superstar it's only going to help him you know i know from when my brother was playing at Barca, it was it was about your quality. Don't get me wrong; it was about how good you were on the pitch. But you know the sentence like um, "it's not what you know, but who you know" sort of thing. That always played a played a part going up in La Masia and and going throughout the different levels. And at first team level, if you are friends with Suarez or Messi, that's always going to help you. You know, I'm not saying he's not there on merit. Absolutely, he is because you know the the, the header he scores. On his debut, uh, there's got to be magic in there. But obviously, at that at that level, you need someone to support you, and you've got Messi behind you. That's that's a battle have won. Yeah, and, and I think there is that argument online about uh, about whether or not you're overhyping a player or or you're pretending a guy is going to be the next savior of a, of a squad. And then you see that it's not just people on who are we'll say unqualified journalists. You see qualified journalists or ones that are supposed to be qualified, saying how, you know, there was a rumor about him that the, that the other players are upset because they, about a strip club, or whether it starts as a joke, certain outlets pick it up as truth, and, uh, you know, things get lost in translation, and it winds up being a mess in a circus, but I understand that Ansu Fadi is kind of being, not protected from all those things, but he doesn't worry about those things, or, uh, I, you know, Dembele is known to be looking at certain things, but hopefully that winds up just being motivation. Uh, I want to quickly just mention that Armin, his question was about the La Masia product, so I think we answered that, uh, and Vampa didn't have a question, just asked for a shout out, so yep, there's your name, uh, and then the one thing I do want to <laughs> say, we have to focus on uh, Osasuna a little bit, uh, and I know it, it's been, it's in the past, and we're in an international break, and it's over. But uh, it seems like Nelson Semedo has really come under fire, and justifiably so for his, uh, you know, I think we can use the word horrid first 45 minutes against Osasuna. Uh, so Steve asks, it seems like Semedo uh, carries a lot of blame for the Bilbao goal. Uh, and in that case, is it potentially possible that uh, Sergio Roberto moves back to right back where we saw him move in the second half? And same thing with Christopher Malcolm asking, uh, is the team better playing Sergio Roberto as a right back as opposed to in the midfield? Um, and the final point I, I want to mention, James, uh, we were dis- I was discussing with him, he-, he mentioned on the Facebook page as well, that uh, he just doesn't think that Dembele and Semedo have what's necessary to play for Barca. Um, and the only thing I, I-, I want to just push back on a little bit that you know, Dembele, I think, is a different player than what we've always been used to. You know, he's not an Iniesta, he's not a Xavi, uh, and even on the wing, he doesn't necessarily do the same things that you'd expect from when we look at Carlos Perez's game, right, and what he added by towing that touchline, by being very, very unselfish in the ways that he was, uh, and it's funny that Carlos Perez, we at 21 years old, people were criticizing him and going the other way and saying he doesn't, you know, he's he's passing too much or he's being he's not shooting where he should have or in when he does shoot, uh, it seems like he might have had a player in in a in a position that another you know that somebody else would have taken a, a chance on uh, with a more difficult pass that it seems like he's he's too La Masia in that case when it comes to Carlos Perez but um, Dembele just adds something so different and he is such a quality player I don't want to we're not talking about Dembele now we're talking about Nelson Semedo and to me I, I said on the Patreon shows where we do our quick take match reviews over on Patreon again a plug there that Nelson Semedo to me for the first two games and the preseason looked better and it seemed like he Valverde had the faith 
in him and his teammates had a faith in him to be the starting right back, the regular starting right back with Musawage just filling in when he needed in the same way that Jordi Alba last year was always going to be the starting left back and there was no backup and now that's Firpo. But for the case of Nelson Semedo, it seemed like the team has a plan for him and has put that faith in him. And to, to take him out after that first half, because again, not only was the goal was both him and Carlos Perez for not picking up Roberto Torres on the back post, um, but all that said, there was a calmness that Sergio Roberto added when he moved back to right back. Uh, but it's also a lot easier, as we mentioned, to take out Semedo and add and, and, and just shift him back, where you only have to waste one sub by replacing Semedo with Roberto. That's, a, that's just a game plan thing that I want to mention. But I, yeah. I don't know. I, I think Semedo does have... He can be Barca's starting right back. And when it comes to a starting 11, uh, Frances, I'll, I'll throw this over to you now, that when it comes to a starting 11, somebody's going to be the 11th best player on the field. And is Barca willing to have that? For so many years, with Danny Alves being a focal point of the team, right back was a, a, a real position of strength for Barcelona. He was, what, their three, their third, fourth most important player on the field at right back? And the way that modern football works, fullbacks need to be that important to your team. And is it okay for Barcelona? This is my only knock on Semedo. Is it okay for Barcelona to have a right back not be one of their top five most important players? But for Barca, it's crucial that the fullbacks are fully... Yeah fully able to push forward and um, they are defensively strong. Uh, you've mentioned a lot of points in there, Dan. I'm probably going to forget how to <laughs> go about it all. But um, in terms of Semedo, I think we don't have Dani Alves. I think we, we are fully aware of that, but we need to remind ourselves, okay? Dani Alves is not a Barca anymore. Um, the same way Puyol is not a Barca anymore, the same way Xavi is not, the same way Iniesta is not, okay? So we can forever spend here 90 hours every single week talking about we don't have these players, but we just don't, okay? Because it, it just it just happens to be that you know it's 2019 now, and those players are either retired or retiring or playing elsewhere. So, with that in mind, the best right back we've got at the moment is Sergio Roberto and Semedo. Unfortunately, they're different people. You cannot merge them one <laughs> into the same person. Um, I think Sergio Sergio Roberto is better pushing forward, better associating. He understands the the, the basic mechanisms and what is required of every single position because. You know, uh, he can play midfield, he can play at right back, but, you know, we put him as goalkeeper and he knows exactly what to do as well. Well, yeah, he plays on the um, wing too. He's right, played on the wing. So, yeah, he's played everywhere. You're right. Yeah, he, he does He does play everywhere. Defensive midfield as well, I think he will be really good. And he has been in Barca B and even, even sort of in previous year. So, we just need to understand that that's what he does well. I think Semedo is stronger defensively. Of course, he may not have shown it this week or these last couple of weeks. But then again, the boy wanted to offload into PSG. You know, so it goes back to the very first question we answered. If you're in that situation, that's going to affect you mentally. You don't know, as we say in Spanish, you don't know you've got a, a food inside or a food outside, um, pie dentro, pie fuera. And that's going to affect your game. That's going to affect your mentality. Um, he has played and he's done his best. And he just sometimes just doesn't work. But I, I think it goes back to the Carlos Perez point as well. Like, what, what do we expect? We want to cook the, cook the cake and eat it at the same time. Like, you can't have oh, we want La Masia talent to come through, oh, we want interaction, oh, we want opportunities, oh, we want this. And then the first time the guy misses a shot or fails to cross, then everyone's criticizing him. You know, it, it just it's just nonsense. What do you want? Do you want um, La Masia to succeed in the long run or do you want to be Rosasuna? Because the, the, he, that's the key difference here. And it's the same with Semedo. You know, what do you want? Do you want someone who is perfect now, which we don't have, or do you want to give these people chances and these people opportunities to grow and learn from their mistakes? Okay, of course, it goes back to the beginning. Is Valverde the right person for the job? 
and probably he isn't but that's the, the that's the one manager we've got and that's the one manager we need to trust but we need to be reasonable we cannot be expecting miracles or, or people to be perfect on day one or even to grow if you're going to criticize them that much you know and it's what the anthem says Totsunista and Forza all together we need to pull and, and, and make strength and I don't think that's happening yeah I mean, what I, want, what I do want to agree with James a little bit on is that uh, while, I, again, I do think Semedo has improved, uh, and I think the squad, as I've said, is deeper than it's ever been. Um, one of the things that does stand out to me, though, with Semedo being in his third season now, is that it's okay, then, to move on from a player if he doesn't seem to be... Like, Semedo was bought and is now supposed to be the starting right back, so I think that should continue the season. But if, he, if it doesn't work out for him this season then it's time to move on from Semedo. And I think that's okay to say that, where you give a player, you know, three years to to become what the, the expectations are in the club because, you know, you wouldn't want to be paying Semedo as the as a starter and he winds up having to be a backup to somebody. Um, you'd want to have to go out and get uh, a starter that you're going to trust game in and game out. But I think so. I, so for Semedo, this really is uh, what I do agree with, James. I think this is a make or break year for Semedo. And I say break, make or break year because the year has just begun uh, in his third season. Now, Cole asked, uh, and I'm going to change the question again. Sorry, Cole. Uh, I know you asked a lot of good ones, and I have to tweak your, the question here. He says, is the trend of... Is the trend of big market players being loaned with options to buy, is that due to just what PSG is doing with the market, or is it inflation of value amongst players? Um, and Cole, to that point, I'm actually going to expand it. It's not just big market players being loaned with options to buy, like we saw with Kylian Mbappe to PSG. But when you look at Neymar is still at PSG. Bale, Gareth Bale is still at Real Madrid. Even Rakitic is still at Barcelona. And it's probably not fair for, for, for Rakitic in the same uh, in the same conversation with those two. Uh, but even Paul Pogba is still at Manchester United. And that's not that those players can't be moved on. But I think what we saw in the summer of 2017, and this is what happened. This is probably the first domino from the Neymar transfer to PSG in the first place two years ago. That they broke the system. These star big players, because of marketing opportunities and how much they cost in total, it broke the it, it, it did. It broke the economic model. And now your top, top players like Pogba, Bale, Neymar, and, and to a lesser degree, even a Rakitic, guys that are now worth that much more than everybody else around them, that inflation has made all players more expensive. But I'd rather get... You notice that you can now get three players for the price of a Paul Pogba. Or you can get three or four players that could do the job that Gareth Bale does for way less money than what you know, all the Gareth Bale brings. So it's a lot harder now for, I think, these gigantic, gigantic top, top teams to sell on their their big star players that they want to move on from just because of how much they make in wages per week, uh, how much they are, they're expecting to get in transfer, what they think the players are worth. And, and even after this, uh, PSG came out and said that, you know, Neymar can go somewhere else if a team plays three, pays $300 million for him. How many teams have 300 million? And that's what it is, that it has to be some kind of merry-go-round carousel between the top teams. Because Paul Pogba can only go to two or three teams that can pay his wages and the transfer. Neymar can only go to Barcelona or Real Madrid or Man United or Man City, right? Same thing with Bale. You know, these top, top guys can only go to six or seven teams that can afford them. And I think that's what you're seeing now, where there is going to be a little bit stagnation with the market until either the star, star players, uh, they're, they're, what they're expected to be bringing in goes down or other teams start to catch up. And I, I don't know. I don't think the other teams are going to catch up. I think teams are going to have to either... My, my solution here is going to be shorter contracts. I think you're now going to see that, you know, the Neymars, Bales, uh, 
Pogba's, they're only going to sign for these big clubs for, for two years. And it's going to be a lot, you know, we talk about the, the NBA Francis. Same thing happened in the NBA, right? That now LeBron only signs one-year deals or these top, top guys have all the power, right? The top 10, 15 players in the world have all the power there where teams need to have Paul Pogba for marketing, for his talent, all those things. So he's going to sign a much shorter deal to put the power in his hands so that he can wind up leaving on a free after two or three years because they're going to have that kind of leverage. I think that's what we're going to see. That's not going to affect 99.89% of all transfers, but it will affect the top, top level. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that, Dan. I don't think that the... I think the NBA, of course, I agree. That, that's what it is because you've got free agency as well. But I think... No team in the right mind would give Neymar or anyone of this caliber a two-year deal because they just it just not worth the money, you know. Um, right. it, it was a free agency thing, and and you sort of base it on wages and all the you know the advertising deals, etc. Then it does build up. But in football, because you have to invest so much um, to get anyone there, I don't think that would work. But you know, with that in mind, out of all the players that you mentioned, I think the only one that really wins your title is Neymar. You know, and I think his valuation at 300 million euros is stupid. Um, it's absolutely insane. You know, it's, that's the money they they paid plus the inflation, as you said. And I think Barca were right to not pay that. But Neymar can win you titles. You know, you think back a couple of years um, or even 2015, Neymar scored in every single game um, in the knockout stages for Barca, you know, in, even in the finals. So that's what Neymar can bring. Obviously, this is 2015 Neymar, not 2019 Neymar. Granted, get that. And he's more injury prone, etc. But I think having someone on Neymar's caliber, and I know it didn't come to fruition, and you know I'm not going to change my mind now. What I was saying before, I think he would have been a great addition, and I think the deal that Barca presented at the end was was a good offer. And I think, it, honestly, with uh, uh, <laughs> largely, I don't really um, align myself with Bartomeu, etc. But I think what they did, the offer they presented was fair, and I think they were also right to not go any further with it and call it a day. Yeah, and as I said earlier, uh, th- that I want to also credit Swiss Ramble. That's where I got the the TV information from. The it seems like with that big money, again, th- there may be teams that are able to. The market might continue to inflate in that way. I don't think it's good for anybody in the long run. But when you talk about you know those contracts and negotiations, what the biggest thing it's kind of been the theme of our show here is that those sagas tie up teams. Two teams, two mega teams, they tied them up for a whole summer. Uh, and I think that means every deal gets a little bit harder to get done for these major clubs. And uh, what I always wonder is that Bartomeu, Abidal, the people who have say in these matters, they there's only one Abidal. Well, Abidal probably has multiple cell phones, let's be, let's be fair. Um, but he only has one... He only has two two thumbs, right? And he only has one uh, uh, one set of ears to to put a phone up to. You know what I mean? So there is only so many guys in Barcelona that can make the final say on these things. And being tied up in certain things that, for an entire summer and tying up money that would otherwise be spent other places. It's not just about Barcelona here. It's about all the major giants. And it's almost a credit to PSG that they got... Mauro Accardi out on loan from Inter so late in the window. I, I think uh, Inter and PS Inter did a good job by doing a lot of their uh, transfer business early in the year. Uh, but then looking at what PSG was able to do in the eleventh hour, also getting Kaylor Navas, they did a good job there. It seemed like those were all contingency plans built up, um, regardless of what happened with Neymar. So, and to Barcelona's credit, cool. I, I want to mention. Though, can I can I say in there, Dan? Good luck to them if they ever want to get out of PSG, though, isn't it? to go in there because there's plenty of money but 
Acardi's on loan. That's that's no, the no, point. No, sure. Icardi, yeah, yeah. But anyone else who signs actually a contract with them, not a loan contract, obviously, they really is is like having a child. You got a child forever, sort of thing. It's until the end of the contract, you're trapped. Yeah, I mean, and that it's funny because Barca it almost works the opposite way. We saw with Arda Turan almost calling the club hostage, saying, "Well, I don't want to leave. I love Barcelona. I love what you pay me." And then, and I don't think Rakitic is doing the same thing because again, Rakitic was being shopped, and it seems like he's open, having not played in the first three games, to be there. But for Barcelona, unlike what happened with PSG, I, I know it feels like Barcelona, are, you know, were, are empty-handed from the transfer window, but they got all their stuff done. They had to get a backup left back. They did that in Junior Firpo. They had to, they had to add somebody to the attack, of course, and they added Antoine Griezmann, somebody that that fits the system is going to fit in well. And they added what I've said many times is a generational midfielder in Frankie Dion, who was voted the best midfielder in the world, right? So they, they added, they got their business done actually quite early, even De Jong getting done in January. Um, so Barcelona's transfer window, I think, is still going to be a success. Uh, we look at it, and maybe the only thing that didn't work out is they still, they were not un- able to unload Rakitic in the way that they were. Um, you know, that could still happen in January, maybe, if Juventus comes calling again. Now, For I ra- sure, but at the same time, though, having Rakitic in the team is only going to help because he is a good player. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the reason why we wanted to offload Rakitic um, is for the transfer money that would have enabled us to, to get someone else. But having Rakitic in the team is good. You know, he's, yeah. he's a fantastic player. He's been a hero for us for five years, you know. And again, he's been criticized enormously, and I have to say very unfairly at times um, in social media. But he's a, he's a superb player. He's someone that the coach understands and, and values and trusts, and he's going to help us this season. So, you know, if we don't get Neymar, I'm happy that Rakitic is staying, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, last two questions here. One from Rick around the same uh, around the same lines as this. He asks, what factors must be taken into account when trying to sign a player a second time around? This is talking about going back to the well for Coutinho, going back to the well for Griezmann, going back to the well for Neymar. Because again, as I joked at the start of this show, uh, I, Barcelona is not done talking to Neymar and trying to get him back at the club. Now, I mean, I, I prefer just to have him wait out his contract. And if he's still a quality player then, then he can come to Barcelona on his own accord. Because again, negotiating, as we talked about, negotiating with PSG is, I think, the worst part of this. If he was at any other club, maybe it's possible. But negotiating with uh, PSG, PSG, I mean, obviously Real Madrid is the other exception there, but negotiating with PSG is, to me, a lost cause, for, uh, and that makes it difficult. But that is a question, though, Frances. How do you feel about going back to the well and, and trying to continue to sign the same player uh, transfer window in and out? I, I think my, my, the issue with it now, though, is what is public and how that changes your squad. So I, it, 50, 40, 50 years ago, we would never have known that Barca tried to sign Griezmann two summers in a, ro- in a row. But instead, and again, this put a bad taste in our mouth, he, his level LeBron James had Griezmann make a video about staying at Atletico Madrid, and then a year later he's at Barcelona. So th- that's unfortunately a really negative thing about being in 2019 now, that those kind of things happen when maybe 40, 50 years ago we wouldn't have heard anything if Barcelona had tried to sign him in multiple years uh, and he just would have no. been there for the first time. He would have possibly been burnt 40, 50 years ago if he'd done that and then come to the club. For sure. Um, <laughs> My I, violence would I, have been I, there, yeah. Without a doubt. In Barcelona, in Spain, something more drastic than, you know, just come and join us and we'll whistle to you when you come up in the stadium would have happened. But, you know, yeah. different different times. Um, I think it's much simpler than anything that we've mentioned so far is, is whoever you're trying to sign better than the guy you've got doing that job in your team now? Because if, if the guy that you're trying to sign is better, then you sign him. You know, um, Obviously, you evaluate um, injuries and you evaluate predisposition, you evaluate um, personalities. But then again, if, if they've already been in the club like Neymar has, 
or you've been following someone like Griezmann you had for like two, three years, then hopefully you've done your homework in there. For me, it's much simpler. Um, is whoever you're signing better, what is the price? Are you prepared to pay it? And, and if you're not sort of paying with money, what assets are you willing to, to give up? That for me is the answer. If, if the coaches and the board are all in agreement that that's the right thing to do, do it. If not, then just hold back and go for another objective. Yep. Uh, our last question here, it, it's a pretty simple one. I, Ira, I do want to mention, Ira, uh, I, I think I've mentioned in the past months that you always have a point about center backs, and there's a focus on the back line and the defense. And I do appreciate that, Ira, because that means that someone is paying attention to the parts of the squad that we don't really talk about, uh, and well, particularly in the center backs. And so Ira asks, do we have good and promising center backs in Barcelona B? Uh, and Ira, I want to start by answering a question and saying that we haven't seen much of John Clare Debo, but I, for one, am happy that he is staying at the club. I mean, as I said, the, 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 if it was Tadebo against Neymar, obviously you take Neymar and you put Tadebo in a deal to get that done. Now, Arthur, you know, again, the more players we mentioned in that deal for Neymar, it, it, it gets a little harder, right? So, like, a combination of Dembele, Tadebo, and Arthur, just it, 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 that doesn't sit with me well because of what Barcelona could have lost. Um, all that said, Tadebo is still at Barcelona, and I expect him to get some time, and I would say that, unfortunately for Barcelona B, at the moment, Jorge Cuenca uh, it was supposed to be the name for, uh, for the last three, four years. He was always playing uh, an age up since he got to Barcelona, uh, but he also got to Barcelona late in his later teens, uh, and he, he was awarded this, this, this week having scored the first goal at the Juan Cruyff Stadium, so congratulations to him. Uh, the first official goal, we should say, not from that presentation. Um, but uh, Chumi, unfortunately, we saw last year, is, is now a bench player in the rotation. Uh, he's been replaced at the right center back position by Ronald Araujo, who is still kind of integrating himself into the Barca system. He is much more a physical player. He is very, very good in the air, uh, so he does all those different things. He's, a, he's, a, he's an athlete. He's a specimen. But uh, technically, he still has a little bit to go. Um, so I don't know. Uh, and then Oscar uh, Menguenza is, you know, I, I think, you know, being on the depth chart where he is, I don't see his future there. So all that said about the Barcelona B center backs, you know, center back, just like goalkeeper, is a position where they don't really reach their peak until 25 or later. So I think for the guys that are still there in, in Cuenca and and potentially Chumi and Araujo, um, it, it might be a few more years before they get to their peak. I think Tadebo, honestly, is a special talent. At, at the, at, at, I mean, still being a, a teenager for him and what I've seen from him so far, I think he's a special talent that, thankfully, in that same regard, Valverde is not pushing too fast or too hard. And so I think Tadebo will get opportunities this year as he continues to grow um, uh, training every day with the first team, which he deserves to do, even though he's the same age or younger than the Barca B center back. So that's how I answer the question that uh, Tadebo in, in age is a Barca B center back, but he's in the first team and we're going to see him this season. And I'm excited to do that. And I think Ira, that is where, uh, you know, again, he's only played in what 12 or 13 official first team matches between Toulouse and Barcelona. Um, but I expect to see more of him. So I, I think I'd, I'd say put your faith in Tadebo uh, and if it's time to trust a Barca B uh, player for Copa del Rey or what have you, all four of them played for Barca B as well last season. So uh, they're just a, a year older, uh, and they if Chumi was trusted last year, I think he should be trusted. Same thing with Jorge Cuenca. If he was trusted last year in those Copa del Rey, he can be trusted again in that situation. The answer is, is perfect, um, and I subscribe to it like 7 million percent, so there's nothing to add there. But I do want to give a big shout out to everyone in the Facebook group. Regular listeners know that I'm not on 
Twitter anymore. Um, I just can't stand the place because people just moan for attention and I honestly don't have the time or the attention span anymore to be there. Uh, but the only social media place that I actually interact in is a, a Facebook group, um, at the Barcelona podcast. And every time I log into Facebook, which is not often, to be honest, there's so many posts for so many people and they're all from listeners from the show. And it does keep me going. To be honest, that that group is the only reason why I'm doing the podcast again with you, Dan. Obviously, you and, and the fact that you kept it alive for a whole year, which was great. But it just gives me energy to see that so much passion, so many um, very knowledgeable people are in one the, the one place, which seems to be quite a safe environment as well. Um, obviously, we, we moderate that. So I'm, I'm very, very pleased. Um, can I just say as well, we get so many requests of people to join that group, but we only accept the listeners. So in the when you sign up, there are three listener questions that um, we have to get answers for. Anyone who fails to answer the questions, I think it in the group, which is why the group is so high quality and, and the caliber of discussion is, is high. So I just want to say thank you for keeping it going. Thank you for your enthusiasm and everything you say on a on a daily, weekly basis. Obviously, sending questions for the pod. You guys have kept the Barcelona podcast going, and obviously with Dan uh, being the driving force. So, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Yeah, I mean, it is true. I think we we may have lost listeners by turning people away from the group, but it is something that we're trying to curate, and that's where we get these questions from. So, not only thank you to our closed Facebook group, but I want to say thank you to all of our listeners as well for tuning into this show. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13 for me on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group that Frances spoke so highly about, and, and I agree with all those sentiments as well tvpod.link backslash group. Uh, and then I also mentioned in the show about our Patreon. That is where we do our quick take match reviews. And I, I also really, really want to appreciate all the people over there. Um, that isn't so much a discussion group, but the support that they give me and uh, the ability I have to do those 15, 20 minute quick take match reviews where, again, I really do break down every match I, and tactically the best that I can uh, and to speak about some of the highs and lows. That's tbpod.link backslash Patreon. We're also on YouTube, as I mentioned, at the Barcelona Podcast. I've got two videos coming up this week about all the fallout from the transfer deadline day and what that means for all of the Liga, not just Barcelona. It's about everybody in the Liga. Um, so if you, again, for me, I enjoy watching Osasuna, knowing who they brought in and knowing Osasuna's storylines as much as I do Barca. Now, that's not for everybody, but that's something just for me, I like to be educated about La Liga the best that I can. So uh, again, I, I did a lot of research. I've worked hard on these two. So look out for those later in this week. And you can also check us out there to hit that subscription button that'll just put both of those parts in your feed for that 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 series Uh, so thanks so much for listening to the barcelona podcast until next time we'll talk to you soon and forza barca forza I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.